Okay. Yeah. We missed the first 30 minutes, sorry. Okay. Um, what, other, what other rules do we, uh, do we derive from the fact that there are occasional letters? Number two, you need to read, sit down and read the letter as a whole. Um, imagine you get a letter from your girlfriend, right? You single guys, right? Imagine you get a letter from your girlfriend. It's a four-page letter. You say, oh, this is great. You say, I'm going to read th page three today. Tomorrow, I'll read page two. Next week, I'll read page one. And then sometime next month, I'll get to page four. No crazy person would ever do that. And if you did that, could you understand what your girlfriend is trying to say to you? No, you don't understand. You don't remember. And you're reading it all out of order. But a lot of Christians read New Testament epistles like that. I'm going to read Philippians 4 today. Next week, I'm going to read Philippians 1. And then you, know, you sort of jumble it all up. Uh, we need to read the epistles all the way through. And so one of the disciplines, and it may be a little difficult, is to try to sit down and read the whole letter in all in one sitting. I know that's difficult, so it may not be, you know, that may be overly ambitious, but then try to read it all the way through in a short period of time, maybe over two or three days. And the other thing is keep rereading it, because you have to remember the whole letter is an integrated whole, so keep reading it over and over and over again, jotting down notes, and so you get the general idea, right? Like, we kind of go to the epistles looking for specific verses, looking at specific paragraphs, but no one ever reads letters like that, right? If you receive an email from your best friend, and it's a long email, you don't, you don't pick apart paragraphs and sentences. You read the whole thing, right? All right. Uh, so, that's that. Uh, occasional letters. Any questions or comments? No? Okay. Let's turn to the next page. Uh... Play, uh, rule number three, pay close attention to grammar and to prepositions. Um, what's a preposition, by the way? Who's, who's been studying grammar? What's a preposition? What's a preposition? Who can I put on the spot? Who can I utterly embarrass? Eric, what's a preposition? Uh, I don't know what it, the definition, but I can give examples. Like give me some examples. Beyond the... Horizon, or like the word beyond, it like helps describe. Yeah, I don't know. Give more specific. Mm, beyond is not a preposition, but you're getting there. About. About, uh, yeah. They're little yeah. connector words, right? And uh, it, the reason why definition is really hard is because there's there isn't really a specific. It's not like a verb, or it's not like a adjective. It's just these little connector words, and some examples are but for, therefore, and they connect phrases or they connect thoughts, right? And uh, normally when we read uh, prepositions, if you're a native English speaker, you sort of just breeze through them because it's just so intuitive, right? But the uh, epistles are so dense and so logically packed that prepositions are very, very, very meaningful. And you, we really, you need to sort of read kind of slow it down and think through these little prepositions. These little three-letter, two-letter, four-letter words, they're incredibly valuable and important. All right, so I gave you three examples of some prepositions. Um, how about, uh, the first one is but. How does the word but work? Not two T's, just one T. How would you define the function how but works, Jeff? It's like to the opposite. Exactly, right. It's opposing, it's contrastive, right? So you could say, you know, she's cute, 
but mean. <laughs> right? So the word but is contrasting these two uh, adjectives, right? She's cute. Maybe I'd like to date her, but she's mean. Mm, maybe that means I can't date her, right? Okay? So you use the word but to compare the two. And it helps you to understand, all right? So let's look at the first one, Galatians 3. Can I have Marianne read it? Um, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not a faith, that is, the one who does them shall live by them. Yeah, but, all right? So what is, what is it comparing? It's comparing two ways to approach the law, two ways to approach righteousness, right? The, the, the first one says... No one is justified by God, uh, before God, by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So faith is being contrasted with what? But the law is not of faith. So it's not faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So it helps you to understand faith. What is faith? Faith is not relying on the law to be acceptable before God. Right? And what does it mean to obey the law to be acceptable before God? It means you're not really depending on faith. These, these two principles are completely opposed to each other. So you use that little word, but, to help you to understand, to compare. And what you do as an epistle reader is you look at that but contrast, and you think, and you think, and you jot down notes, and it helps you to understand. Does that make sense? Let's look at another con um, uh, preposition. How about the word for? All right. Um, let's say I'm going to bed for I am tired. Okay. So what does the word for? What's the function of the word for? I don't know if I, you're supposed to put a comma there, but in any case, how does the word for work there? Yeah, it's almost like a because, right? <clears throat> or it's the cause or the ground, right? I am tired is why you're going to bed, right? It leads to, it contributes to, or, or, or is the ground of, right? So let's look at, for example, Colossians 3. Uh, Winnie, can you read that? Yeah. <laughs> Why should you seek the things that are above? Why should you set your mind on beautiful heavenly things, on the things of God? Why? Paul gives you the reason in verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And so you say, hmm, how is that the ground? And you puzzle that through and you think it through. Does that make sense? You really need to think through these prepositions. Um, last one, therefore. How does therefore work? Yeah, it's a conclusion, right? Um, so, uh, he never exercises, therefore, he is out of shape, right? Um, and so, let's look at uh, Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, and so on. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. By the way, that's an amazing statement. Because sacrifice means to die, 
Living means to live, right? You're supposed to be this walking around, uh, dying sacrifice, right? It's an amazing statement. Paul says, why should you do that? The word there is therefore. Therefore. Now, what does therefore refer back to? And that's part of how you understand epistles. You think, what is Paul talking about when he says, why should we be living sacrifices? What's the reason? What's the therefore? It's chapters 1 through 11, right? Therefore, right? But sometimes the therefore refers only to a previous verse. Sometimes it refers to two paragraphs back. And so that's part of the, the, the puzzling through in exegesis is to think and, puzzle and, and to, to work it out logically. Any quick questions or thoughts? So that's exegesis. By the way, that's probably the easiest part of doing reading epistles. What's the second part? Application, right? What does it mean for us? All right? So let's look at how do you do application. So point number four. Application is sometimes difficult because the situation in, in the original context is so radically different from our own modern context. All right? Uh, so let's read Romans 13. Can I be wrong? Can you read that for me? Okay, what does Paul say? Paul says, be subject to the governing authorities, don't resist them, obey the authorities. Now, what's the original context? Can anyone tell me uh, what, what was the situation when Paul wrote this letter? Yvonne? Yeah, the Roman Empire, right? There was, uh, there was the emperor. And what is Paul basically telling the Christians in the Roman Empire? Do not rebel against the emperor. Do not foment a revolt and overthrow the pagan emperor and set up a Christian kingdom, but to submit and to obey, right? Because the Roman emperor has his function. He, does, uh, he has a role that God is placing him to do, right? So does that mean, therefore, that that can be applied to every situation in history? What about the American Revolution? In the American Revolution, you had all the colonists, and they didn't like, who was the king at the time? King what? Huh? George. King George, right? British, the, the British king, King George, they said, you know, no taxation without representation. So they rebelled against the king. Were the American colonists, according to Romans 13, in the wrong? Hard to say. Because it's not the exact same situation. What about democracy? In our modern democracy? If we don't like the current president, President Obama, Paul says... Obey the governing authorities. Don't resist. We should just vote him back into office come 2012. Don't resist. Is that the exact same situation? What about Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement? He, 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 he disobeyed the government, right? He broke the law in pursuit of another, in pursuit of a social justice, of, a, of a race rights. Was he in the wrong? Right? So you, now you understand that it's a little bit tricky, right? Um, and so the way, exegesis, uh, the way application works is first you, first you identify the principle. Okay? And then you um, apply it to the specific situation. 
that is where it becomes tricky. Okay. You know, what does Paul mean when he says, you know, submit to the governing authorities? How does that work in civil rights? How does that work, for example, in North Korea? How does that work in China? How does that work in a democracy? That's the difficulty of application. Any quick thoughts or questions or comments? My only point here is that it's difficult. That's all I'm saying. Okay? I'm not going to give you the answer. We'll talk about the role of church and state another time. All right. Point number five, be aware of the cultural gap between the first century and the modern world. Um, one of the great and beautiful things about Christianity is that Christianity does not endorse a specific culture, very much unlike Islam. Islam, if you want to be a good Muslim, you really have to adopt Arab cult, Arabic culture, right? You can only read the Quran properly in Arabic. You know, women have to wear a head covering and a hijab, which is very much an Arab cultural thing. But Christian, is there a Christian culture? There is not. One of the beautiful things is that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, New Testament was written in Greek, right? So it's different languages, different cultures. But the, but the thing that makes that difficult is that Christianity doesn't endorse a specific culture, but it critiques all cultures, and it interacts with all cultures, and therefore, a lot of what the New Testament uh, does is it's interacting with the original Mediterranean Greco-Roman culture that is very different from our culture. Okay? Let me give you a good example of that. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, gender roles is where things get a little dicey. Uh, verse 8, I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Alright, stop right there. Paul clearly says, don't wear gold. Don't wear braided hair. Don't wear pearls. Clear, right? No ambiguity. That's the original exegesis content. Therefore, who's wearing gold? Is anyone wearing gold? You're disobeying Paul. Has anyone braided their hair? Right? And so, do we, is there a direct correspondence? And we would say no, right? Why? Because gold represented something a bit, more, a bit different back then than it does for us, right? I would say, comparatively, gold is so much cheaper now than it is back then, right? To, 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 to be in possession of, possession of gold meant, meant that you were fantastically wealthy, right? And so to wear gold is like, I don't know, it's equivalent of like wearing a you know, Mercedes-Benz on your necklace or something, you know? It's an extremely expensive item and means you're just being completely splashy and completely, you know, I, I don't know what the equivalent would be. It's like going to come into church and wearing like four mink coats, you know? And then, I don't know, you know, I can't even think of the equivalent. It's just something so outrageous. It's just, you're just showing off your wealth. And so Paul helps us, right? Paul says, um, women should adorn themselves with, with modesty and self-control. Right? And that applies to all Christians. We should be modest people. We shouldn't be, you know, showing our bling, you know, looking like we're in a rap video. Right? <laughs> um, so, we can understand, right? The cultural context is different, but the principle applies. Ah, but does that apply for the next statement? Look at verse uh, 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I, verse 12, listen. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Okay, 
What does Paul say? Very clearly, women should not teach men, have authority over men. Right? Now, there's two ways to go about it. One is to say that statement is the exact same thing as gold and braided hair. You know, women uh, had a lower status in Greco Roman society. Women were not educated as much in uh, that ancient world. And therefore, to have an uneducated woman uh, in a culture in which it was scandalous for a woman to teach, Paul's basically saying, you know, he's accommodating culture. And therefore, it doesn't apply to us. Women can teach, women can do whatever. That's one way to go about it. The other way is to say, no, no, no. This is not culturally bound, but this has a greater, broader, eternal principle. And then, even from that position, there's different ways to slice it. How much authority should women have? You know, for me personally, uh, as I read the Bible, I think Paul is just prohibiting women from being elders. I think it's perfectly fine for women to teach Sunday school or to lead a Bible study. But how do we apply that, right? It gets very, very complicated because you have to first determine how much is cultural and how much is not. Does that make sense? And the reason why I say it's not cultural is because Paul says Adam was formed first and Eve, so it goes all the way back to creation. I don't think it has to do with Mediterranean culture, although there are some elements of that. But that's, I'm, I'm speaking really fast because I'm running out of time. All right, any quick questions or any thoughts on that? Okay, last, last point. Therefore, okay, since application can be so dicey, and because there's these cultural issues, uh, there's a, we only have part of the information, therefore, we need to read the New Testament with humility, with caution. And therefore, we can't be dogmatic and militant about every single issue, right? And uh, Christians have historically identified something called the core doctrines and then something called what's on the periphery, right? What's on the edge. So what would be in the core? Uh, let me solicit from you guys. What, what, what would be considered core doctrines that we really cannot and should not disagree about? No tolerance for disagreement. What's core? Or is there no core? Everything's periphery. <laughs> Tommy? <clears throat> or, <clears throat> well, I guess would be um, the, uh, <clears throat> the Bible is uh, inherent word of God. Mm, that's interesting. Uh, I, I would put that actually at the periphery, that the Bible is inerrant. Um, but some people would put that at, at the core. But uh, I'm looking for what's you know, truly core. Like, if someone doesn't believe this, you would say, you're not a brother. You're not a sister in Christ. I, I wouldn't consider you a Christian. That uh, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Yeah, so, you know, doctrines about uh, God, right? That Jesus, uh, the Trinity. What else? Anything else? What's non-negotiable? How about doctrines of salvation, right? That uh, you're saved by grace alone. If someone says, no, 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 you're saved by your works, you'd be like, Dude, you don't believe in Jesus. You're not a brother. But what's on the periphery? <clears throat> I would include a whole bunch of things on the periphery. Things like gender role, church government, your view on baptism. Um, what other things? End times, spiritual gifts. Okay? It's not to say that these things are not unimportant. They're very important, and I have a definite opinion about them, and I will teach you know, according to what I understand. But it means that we can still have charity and, and, and kindness 
you believe one thing about women in the church, I believe one thing about women in church, we disagree, but you know what? There's so much ambiguity or there's so much difficulty in reading the Bible that we can't condemn each other too strongly. We call each other brother and sister, but we can still disagree on women in the church. Does that make sense? So some, some churches believe women can be elders. Some churches say women cannot. But I think it doesn't mean we have to kill each other, right? Some churches believe Christ is not God and did not resurrect. Some churches believe he did. I don't think there can be union or connection, right? We would say, um, you, you're not a church. <laughs> any, any thoughts or questions or comments on that? So what's my point? My point is that um, you need to read with humility and caution and charity. That people, honest Christians, can come to different opinions about these matters. All right, let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for the gift of, of the New Testament, uh, for these epistles. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we sort of uh, listen in on the conversation, we know, Lord, that though the original context was to, the, to those churches, Yet, at the same time, through the Holy Spirit, you are addressing us. And that these are vital things that we need to know for salvation, for godliness. We pray, Lord, that we would not be slack about our Christian lives. We wouldn't just let the escalator uh, drive us downward passively. But we would try with all our might, all our passion, all our strength, all our ability to read and to know you and to grow in faith. We pray this in Christ. Amen.